0: word i'm gonna say the word in the beginning was the word 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 was the word from the studios of kjzz in phoenix arizona welcome to word a podcast about literature in arizona and the region here's your host tom maxidon Coming up on this season-ending episode of Word, I was supposed to be on vacation in Africa, but literary conversations arose and I just couldn't refuse to partake on the road.
1: The fact that I'm African, the fact that I'm a woman, the fact that so many personal or intimate experiences in the end are so political, I can no longer not write considering that.
0: Plus, an ASU professor talks about the difference between writing for academia and writing her first novel.
2: I started writing short stories, and I didn't set out to write a novel, but a short story I wrote kind of presented itself as like, oh, this needs to be more.
0: But first, Clotie Hammonds is Artistic Director for Emancipation Arts based in Phoenix and is well known throughout the Valley for her creative and artistic endeavors. She's been a guest on past episodes and also a source for stories I've reported on as well. And while the Juneteenth holiday is nearing, Hammonds is following it in July with two public events so as not to compete with the many planned activities in the Valley for June 19th. Hammonds is hosting her annual Emancipation Marathon at Changing Hands Bookstore on Saturday, July 8th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that's where we began our recent conversation.
3: When people hear marathon, they think of running. And no, this is a literary (laughs) marathon, okay? I am not an idiot. I'm not running in Phoenix in July. (laughs) And I wouldn't ask anyone else to do it. But I give people something to read, volunteers, okay? They say the title, the author, and then they read it out loud. And the impact is saying much of this out loud. And if anybody wants to make a speech or, you know, something other than what they're supposed to do, I take the mic because it's not about any type of speculative thing. This is about history and I have organized it and stuck to this for all these years because they don't teach us this. You know, my motto for emancipation arts is I promise you will learn what schools will not teach. Right. I organize it in slavery, the law, And we actually read slavery, the definition. Many people do not know what a slave actually was or chattel or the difference between an indentured servant and a slave, an enslaved person. Slavery, the human condition, and then slavery, the legacy. So my selections are from those categories.
0: And do you mix up the readings each year? Do you have kind of a rotation in mind, like some things you're always going to read, but then you'll substitute others?
3: Absolutely. absolutely. There are some things I will always read.
0: There's another event that you're doing prior to that. This is a reading of Frederick Douglass's speech, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. That event is going to be on July 3rd, right?
3: That's right at the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing and the ASU campus. And I'm very grateful to them for letting me have it there.
0: It's such a powerful speech. Do you remember when you first read that speech and, and how it affected you? And did you have to search it out on your own or were you taught it in school?
3: No, we heard very little about Frederick Douglass when I was in school. Or very little about slavery. Okay. And so, what the 4th of July was presented to us was a celebration of the country's birth. Well, little did I know that celebration did not include me or my ancestors, Right. at least not my African ancestors.
0: The timing of the speech, which was July 5th, 1852, as far as some of the tenets of the speech, what do you think Douglass might be pleased with now? what would still be in it from the 1850s?
3: I want you to drive around Phoenix, okay? And I want you to look at the racial discrimination in infrastructure. When you see all of these opportunity zones, buildings going up, you don't see black folks working on them generally, very rarely. I know one man that's a construction supervisor And he doesn't know any other black men in his profession here in Arizona. So it's right here, right in our faces. But are any of our politicians speaking out on it? Uh, Do we have any representation here for black people? No, not really. And then, of course, we have all of these murders of black youth by white adults, by police. OK, and, and I think that Douglas would definitely speak against that. And so I've selected a group of men that are really wonderful people that pursue justice across all different sorts of issues. I mean, if we look at medical access or if we look at all of the people that are homeless, very few are speaking up for black people. But people refuse to see it.
0: Is there anything that you think he would cite as a mark of progress?
3: Well, I think potentially there are a number of things that could be cited, but whenever we make progress, let's look at the other end of it, okay? For all of the high paid individuals in the NBA, for instance, we've got massive poverty. As far as access to medical care, This is the first year I've ever had a black female position.
0: And we're talking about a county, Maricopa County, of a population of over 4 million people.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like blacks have not been in Arizona or in Maricopa County for a very long time. As I often say, my family's been here for over 100 years.
0: Well, yes, and you've documented this well through art and also literature with your anthology that came out. Your Emancipation Story continues. And of course, you're the Artistic Director of Emancipation Arts based here in Phoenix. Clotie Hammonds, I want to thank you for coming back to Word after all this time. And I wish you the best. I know you're going through some personal travails right now, but thank you for talking to us about these upcoming events.
3: Absolutely. And next time I see you, Tom, you've got a big hug coming.
0: Thank you so much, dear. appreciate you.
3: All right. Bye-bye.
0: You can find out a bit more about Chloe T. Hammonds on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, my journey to Africa and a literary conversation from abroad. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region, and sometimes a much larger swath get a lot of things delivered these days that includes the latest arizona news from KJZZ's sun up podcast i'm phil Latsman. everything you need to know to start each day delivered to you in this handy little podcast go to kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts and download kjzz sun up today it's time to plan your summer road trip If you have a vehicle that won't be a part of your trip to San Diego or Yellowstone, donate it to KJZZ. Find out more at cars.kjzz.org. And thanks. With everything from groceries to orthodontics, yes, really, available on demand, why not public radio? Make playing KJZZ part of your smart speaker routine to stay informed on your schedule. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Recently, I took a vacation to the African continent for the first time in my life. I've been blessed to travel over the course of my life, and having never been to that part of the world, I jetted to Cairo and eventually near Mombasa, Kenya. One night, while at a cafe in a seaside resort town on the Kenyan coast, I met Injunge Karangwa from Rwanda by happenstance. She was ostensibly on leave as well. But also busy organizing a stack of papers, which caught my eye and then led to a conversation about what the musician, poet, and now burgeoning novelist was working on, her writing and thinking process, as well as themes she felt she needed to address after giving up successful vocations in education and business.
1: The type of job that I have, I was like, uh, for example, in senior management of NGOs. My last job was for university, but more into the... Um operations side. My, my training is in global health and in, in, I did a business school and a master in, in uh, global health. Uh, wow. So the type of jobs that I, actually I could have wished for others, but when I started my career, the job hunting, I wanted those operational jobs and grew up into that. So I think it's the opposite of creation. <laughs> it's the contrary, right? Business. Uh, not business necessarily, the thinking of uh, operations. Making things productive, counting things, measuring, making other people work, uh, or management, the, the modern business. Because at the end, most of the artists end up being businessmen. They have to eat. They have to pay rent, right? You're, you're into this thinking that is very neoliberal, and in the end, you kill yourself. Your, at least your creativity, your spirit. Yeah. So when I figured it out, I was like, okay, get out of there uh very upset parents of course (laughs) that they understood that when you have something in you it doesn't go away and i think they just say like let's stop fighting and i'm older (laughs) right
4: right you
1: see i'm 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 not at the age where they can tell me so they
4: at some point they just basically (laughs) say okay she's old enough to decide for herself
1: and then i've been also very consistent yeah yeah, i've been extremely consistent um and so you're consistent people get curious so I started to do some songs. My parents listened to the songs. So then, you know, they don't want to be... And I had a lot of other support. Uh-huh. So that uh, you know, this, this auntie that tells my mom, no, go, let's go to <laughs> our concert, right? <laughs> right let's just right. go see you.
4: And do you think that there is a link that you learn from music and then translate that into writing? Is there some, some kind of... What, what is similar between the two?
1: Expressing having something to say. Like whether it's a song whether it's yours or not you have to mean some to mean it right?
4: yes and first you have to feel it
1: and then that's why. Right. so you and feel it you, you mean it and then you you have the drive to share also uh, to, it's not only about having a message it's like I think artists really somehow want to be heard right I think the, the type of drive is the same
4: so when I met you last night, you had all of these papers <laughs>
1: spread
4: out, right? And you had like yeah. uh, outlines and starts and stops mm-hmm. and paragraphs.
1: What I'm doing now is new. It's different than poetry. Poetry and music. I don't have to have the same consistency than somebody that is writing a novel. Uh, and you have then, more
4: time in a novel.
1: There's more time in the novel, a novel, but then, or, then you have to go to more depth into, with your right. character.
4: Often in poetry, there is no character. It may be a voice. But there's right? a voice
1: which I consider a character. But uh, it's five lines and it's over, right? You can right. Uh, make it as you want, right? It doesn't have to be as elaborate as a as a novel.
4: Can you tell me briefly what you think this book is about?
1: So basically, I, I had that book that I wrote. It was a poetry book.
4: But and, I mean, I mean, the, the fiction book that you're working yeah, on. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's coming a from continuation, there. Continuation. Yeah, and then bottom. I was
1: like easy now you need to do better than that what you're touching about femininity Randa, quest of yourself how do you say that in English when you outgrew things but but realizing them concerning some of your struggles and things like that you're you're trying to discuss that and it's so superficial what I thought is like I did it in such a superficial manner
4: you only have short window in poetry. so That's that exactly where we're coming
1: from. That's yeah. where I'm coming from. And I was like, I think that I can no longer not be Randan in my art. I can no longer not be a black woman in my art. I can no longer not be too step fully into the issue in my art. You see? The fact that I'm randan the fact that I'm African, the fact that I'm a woman, the fact that her, all of us are so many personal or intimate experience in the end are so political I can no longer not write considering that
4: Why do you think femininity, especially black or African femininity, is so political at this moment?
1: I don't know if it's this moment, um, but because the experience of being a woman comes with so many challenges that are not exclusive. How, how am I going to that? exclusive to
4: any country.
1: Yeah, a, a gender is a, is, a, is, a, is a societal question, and I think that right now people are revolutionizing that all across the world. The question of feminism is becoming a heavy question and that is starting to be considered now seriously.
4: But why uh, is it political? Why should politicians decide...
1: What I mean by political, I mean it has societal influence. Uh, The structural challenges. I think that any structural challenge is Mm -hmm. is political, right? Because the solution to a structural challenge uh, comes from a political Mm -hmm. thing, so so that's what is political. I I wish that I would have a very good definition on what is political, but probably it's everything. I think, look at the water that we drink. How do they pay their taxes? Where does it come from? Who works there? What is this color? Everything is pretty off
4: Do you believe that artists can be the primary agent of change for politics?
1: My book dis- discussed that. Because my book discussed like, why is it so hard actually to take your art to that level? So I basically no longer accept that my art is so light, but I, at the same point, how hard it is and what it costs to not make it like that. And
4: what advice would you have for younger black women about finding their voice?
1: I mean, you have to nourish your voice with knowledge, definitely, you really have to, and so it comes with time. I think what I'm doing now, it would have been impossible for me to do it 10 years ago. I would have been not ready, not capable of articulating anything, Uh, and not the distance also to it. Oh, right. You you just don't have to be a pirate. It has to be yours, you have to own your things. After that, uh, definitely practice. I think that people are really trying to be themselves. And if everybody knew that uh, uh, we are all doing that, I think maybe we would be lighter and easier with each other. And maybe we would be kinder with the other ones that are trying. And so I think that anybody that would look for an advice on how to express their voice, that means that somebody that knows that there is something in finding their voice. This person needs to know that they are not alone and that it's a very human Process at a certain stage of your life, and then once you're there, just go with it.
4: Such a beautiful description.
1: We'll see, thank it's you. not yet done.
4: Thank you, thank you so sure. much. Mm-hmm.
1: Merci beaucoup.
0: You can find out a bit more about Njongay Karangwa on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up on this final episode of the season an ASU professor, talks about the difference between writing for academia and writing her first novel. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Did you know two out of every three NPR listeners prefer to purchase products and services from public radio sponsors? You can see the benefits of becoming a KJZZ corporate sponsor at sponsor.kjzz.org.
4: I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on KJZZ. With true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world, Moth shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. Moth stories aren't part of the disposable daily information flow. They stick with you. The Moth Radio Hour airs Saturday at 3 on KJZZ.
0: These days, making connections takes just a few taps. If you want to share something that you think KJZZ should know, fill us in. You can find all the ways to send in a tip. Just go to tips.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. ASU professor Roxanne Doty is mostly retired from academia, though she still teaches a bit. Last year, she released her debut novel, Out Stealing Water, which is set in Phoenix. And if you're looking for an upcoming summer read that's rooted in real life, Doty's book offers sublime characters with questionable morals who stick together in a gripping drama. When we talked recently, I was curious what inspired her to take a departure from academic writing into the world of fiction.
2: In the academic world, part of the academic world is writing and publishing. But it's a particular kind of writing that has its place and value and and sort of, you know, does a lot of good things. But I just always longed to write more creatively. And I've done that for many years. I started writing short stories and I didn't set out to write a novel, but a short story I wrote kind of presented itself as like, oh, this needs to be more. (laughs)
0: And how long did it actually take you to write it, and what was your process behind it? Are you one of those people that keeps little snippets on you know, just about any scrap of paper that you, you can find, or you keep a daily journal?
2: I'm not the kind of person who plans out an outline, which I, you know, some writers do that, and that's great. But I do a lot of snippets of paper that make their way into a, a journal, you know, so I have lots of little... Notes I jotted down when I was in meetings and, you know, stuffed them in my purse and put them in my journal when I got home. So um, it's interesting how a creative thought just pops in your head when you're in the middle of something that's not very exciting or creative.
0: (laughs) Did you come up with the central character, at least at first? Some people come up with a setting, maybe, or just a general plot outline. What was first for you?
2: What really kind of led to the inspiration was this story of this property in Tempe that is sort of near Tempe Town Lake, right off of Mill Avenue, that's been in this family for years and years and generations, that the state always claimed they didn't really own it. And um, it was this interesting piece of property, and I would follow this story and I even would drive by it. And I thought, God, this is so fascinating. And this, if the property looked like a junkyard. And I thought, this is so interesting that you have this piece of property, you know, less than a half a mile from Mill Avenue, very close to ASU. And of course, when Tempe Town Lake became a thing, it was just the juxtaposition. So, so just that piece of property and the fact that state claimed they didn't own it and the claims became more intense as land values went up and development happened in tempe so that was you know it was just an interesting story to me and then i started wondering gee i wonder what it would be like if you if you were somebody who lived on that property and what if you were a a young girl um what if you were somebody trying to hold on to it so that that was kind of just the vague background and i guess I thought of characters, you know, who what kind of interesting characters might live on that property.
0: One of those was seventeen year old Emily. Her uncle Dwight owns the property. Is that correct?
2: His family supposedly owns it, but that's part of the storyline is the claim that they don't own it. But yes, Emily and her uncle Dwight are kind of, I would say Emily's probably the main character, but Dwight is right out there. He's a very important character. And what kind of led me to Emily? was, you know, me being on a university campus for so many years. And I always would wonder, like, you know, what does this university campus look like to people who don't have access to it? What might it look like? And how might might it make a young girl feel who is so removed from that world of a university, yet so physically close? And so that led me to create Emily. She's real sharp, real smart, and she's also resentful of people her age who have things that she doesn't have and and have access to things that she doesn't have. So Emily was that character that was, you know, she was like the key to it. She's like the first character I thought of.
0: I want to kind of draw a parallel to folks who might live in, let's say, a region that is solely based on tourism for its popularity You know, Uh maybe a coastal city, for instance, I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of things that the more native residents or folks who are living there for a long time aren't drawn to. But that the fact that that city might be a tourist destination in a way, a college campus can kind of be like that. Right. It's like, oh, I'm surrounded by tourists who are here for maybe four years of their lives. They have no real connection to this community, but they seem to have a lot of things, for instance. Is that a good parallel?
2: yeah, I think I think it is. and and, in a way, you could you know, you could imagine somebody while appreciating the positive aspects, um, maybe being a little resentful of that
0: outline the plot for us. How does it move through these main characters, and what are their motivations? How does it play out for them?
2: There's kind of two parallel plot lines running. So Emily, she picked up this postcard of at a garage sale of a west coast city and she's never seen the ocean so this this city on the west coast becomes her dream she wants to go there she wants to get out of phoenix she wants to get away from everything she's known in phoenix and so you know she's only 17 but she knows she needs money and she drags her cousin paula into her schemes so at the same time dwight who's very libertarian very like Hands off government, doesn't want taxes, starts very much resenting that he has to pay for water. And he's like, Why should I pay for water? Why should the city own the water? So he's quit paying his water bill. The first chapter opens with him and Jay and Emily going out in a pickup truck full of empty buckets to fill it with water out of people's faucet <laughs> late at night. So that gets the story moving, but that situation also you know, where is Emily and her cousin Paula? These are young girls. Where are they going to take a shower and wash their hair? So they start wandering over to the university, trying to find a place. For Emily, it's an opportunity not only to wash her hair and take a shower, but to start stealing things. She steals cell phones and IDs. And in the back of her mind, at some point she's going to get some money for this. And so that's the beginning of their life of crime and they get hooked up with some shady characters. They start stealing suitcases from Sky Harbor. That's the plot line of Emily trying to get out of Phoenix and how she's doing it. And Emily has this idea that, you know, if she doesn't have things that other people have, she's going to figure out how to get them. So then Dwight is trying to hang on to the property and there's a professor who wants to buy part of the property. so that's a little bit of a side plot line, and he tries to hire a lawyer. So his struggles to hold on to the property, that's the other plot line. and he gets involved with some anti-government militia people oh, wow. who he doesn't really share all their extreme ideas, but he's kind of at a loss and he and they say, well, we can help you hold on to your property.
0: Out Stealing Water is the novel by Roxanne Lynn Doty, who is a former professor of politics and global studies at Arizona State University, but teaches from time to time as well. I want to thank you so much, Professor Doty, for coming to Word and talking to us.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You can find out a bit more about Professor Roxanne Doty on our website, word.kjzz.org. We'd like to thank the members of KJZZ who provide monthly sustaining gifts of support. Now it's your turn. Please become a member by clicking on the donate tab at kjzz.org or on the mobile app. Portions of Word have been nominated for Edward R. Murrow and Public Media Journalists Association Awards. We hope you have a great summer and we hope to return for Season 10 in mid September. Until then, I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for listening.
1: Word. Word? Word. What's
4: the word?
0: Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.